Welcome to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast with me, your host, Emily Rose, where we take a subversive look at all the celebrity gossip you want and some you never knew you needed. We'll take a deep dive into the hidden meanings of what's really going on in the world of pop culture, because here we contain multitudes and read between the lines. Join me. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the It's Become a Whole Thing podcast. I'm your host, Emily Rose, and I'm back at it again. And I'm once again asking you, how you're doing? How the heck are you? Sweet babe, like what's going on? What's new? What's on your mind? Um, By the time you'll be hearing this, I will just be getting back from a very exotic vacation that I'm going on over the weekend. I am being whisked away to the land of Connecticut. (laughs) I've actually never been to Connecticut before. And uh, I mean, I I say in regards to pop culture that I'm always approaching it from, you know, an anthropological, sociological kind of point of view, just like sort of just observing and like studying. Can I I tell you guys a secret? Okay. Um, Most of the listeners, the people I interact with over here on and on all platforms are Americans. And I love you guys. I actually defend you guys like quite a lot. Um, I'm also observing you. Like I'm, I feel like I'm also studying America, like in anthropologist, anthropologist mode. Like I'm always like observing American culture with like kind of a detached fascination. Um, you know, I'm mostly thrilled at least you know with the americans that i get to interact with over here and online um i kind of feel lucky that you know knock on wood whatever for the most part uh the like loveliest people have found me um in my little corner of the internet um but i'm like i'm interested in connecticut like i've just it's like this part of america that i haven't like explored i'm just picturing like boat shoes and like polos and like yachts i don't know is that is connecticut even even on the water oh my god i and like you you know this is just a humbling moment to remind you and uh i mean myself that i i am not uh maintaining any sort of uh superiority over here on my i'm not sitting on like a canadian high horse i uh know very little about uh most things um and one of the things that I don't know about is uh, Connecticut. I'm going to a wedding. I'm going to my first black tie wedding. Um, I, for once in my godforsaken life, I actually ordered an outfit for it um, like a month in advance. Often it's like a panic, sweaty, like one day in advance kind of thing. And it's always like a, a horrific experience. Um, I ordered my outfit a month in advance and uh, it's lost in the mail. I don't have it. So um, what does that teach me? Um, nothing. I'm still in the very same place of uh, just hot mess expressing and uh, cobbling uh, some like slightly sad outfit together that I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to judge up. Uh, I'm still on my makeup journey. I'm still on my fashion journey. Um, I want to say doing my best, but it's more like doing my 56%. Uh, um, okay. (laughs) Okay. So I have a fantastic guest today, uh, financial expert, Bridget Casey. And like, this is why I 
just love what I do and why like the byline of like the podcast, it's not just pop culture, but it's like pop culture and zeitgeisty things because it's really just what is floating around in the ether in our minds. And it's freaking money that (laughs) makes the world go round. We're going to get into all kinds of basically talks about how much um, our relationship to celebrities and fame and the opulence that they show us and that we kind of consume by by watching it, how that relates to our views on money and uh, spoiler alert, our trauma. <laughs> I mean, it's like whatever. It's, it's like a lighthearted episode. Uh, but what I love about Bridget is that she really gets into just like the feelings and like the anxiety around money that like so many of us have and she's there to empower everyone by helping them to just like calm everyone down um face our like weird traumas and hang-ups around money um and just like you know basically uh fuck the patriarchy by getting rich you know um that's like, <laughs> that's her thing um Before I get into the episode, I'm actually really pleased to announce that she mentioned this to me while we were recording that she is going to be launching her very own podcast called Money Feels. Like that's literally just about these practical tidbits of like things that you can apply um, in your life around personal finances and like always addressing the emotional side of things. Um, Another spoiler alert, it's not your lattes um, that are the reason why you don't have a house right now. (laughs) So we we need this kind of stuff in the world. We need these voices. Um, and we need people to drown out like the Gary V's of the world, like screaming at us about like some shit about like investing uh, with like a bright yellow background, like flashing behind him. Like that's, I don't know. I see bits and pieces of this on the internet um, and it always breaks my brain. It makes me want to never learn about this stuff. And then people like Bridget make me think like, okay, actually I can get kind of control over this part of my life. So Keep an eye out for Money Feels. Um, it's coming out on October 20th. And yeah, that's about it for today. Um, as always, if you're liking what you hear, then uh, hit me with a little quick, casual, cute little five-star review, um, a follow, a, a download of the episode. You know, even if you're not liking it, it's like, you know, why don't like. <laughs> throw me a bone does anyone does anyone say that anymore just just give me a high star review okay like just what's what's it to you hey if you have something for free that i could like quickly do to support you the same way send it my way and i'll I'll do it like dm me i don't know what that would look like in your life but like i i'm open to possibilities here anyhow last little thing but on wednesday on the patreon there's an extra episode every week you know the deal it's five dollars a month um sammy p and i are getting into megan markle and kate middleton we're gonna do a little deep dive into um those two ladies and all of the various uh, drama surrounding them so that'll be out on wednesday And so that's about it. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Okay, and we're back with Bridget Casey, Canadian financial expert extraordinaire and new to the world of pop culture. I think that's safe to say. How's it going, Bridget? 
very new. It's going very well. Thank you for having me. I'm like fangirling so hard that I'm even on this podcast because I think yours is one of the first TikToks I started following like during the pandemic. And I, I couldn't even believe that you accepted my DM and I was like, can I be on your show? And you're like, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was like, amazing. Well, the best, like my favorite is, uh, I mean, Okay, it's a pop culture podcast, obviously. So, you know, I like to have a steady flow of like people that are pop culture commentators. But my favorite is like every once in a while when I have like non pop culture people that want to like get into this world, I'm like, yes, join us. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. You, yeah, you were my gateway drug to pop culture by far. Incredible. Like, (laughs) if there's like one mark I can leave on the world, it's that, you know, it's not too late to start watching Housewives. (laughs) your legacy yeah that is at this point well I've had enough people dm me and being like basically saying that like because of my walking them through it of like all the different places you could start um they just started watching this year and I'm like wow okay this this is basically becoming my legacy (laughs) you're leaving your mark and we're grateful to you for it yeah it's that and telling people that this is not a legit hobby to fuck off like that's basically (laughs) that's my like one two punch (laughs) no I love that and I love that you uh talk about it too because I talk about a lot of those things as well in finance like women's passions and how they're kind of demeaned as trivial and frivolous and whereas men's passions are always like upheld as legitimate when they're like equally uh, uh, silly and often like quite a bit dumber and so I like when people are pushing back saying like no, like I can still be a smart person and enjoy this. It's fun. It's legitimate. It's valid. And there's lots that can be learned from it. Like how is analyzing housewives any different from analyzing a football game? I mean, it's better. It's more complicated. Yeah, well, exactly. And like, I'm not trying to like make myself out to be some kind of like hero in this situation, but it's like, I basically wake up every morning, like thinking, how can I contribute to like the downfall of the patriarchy? (laughs) And (laughs) and, like, I kind of see both of us as doing similar things of just kind of like, basically giving you know the girls gays and they's like just permission to like exist and you're so like you really hit the nail on the head of like there's just so many things that we spend our time on that are delegitimized and like it's people like you on tiktok that have convinced me that it's not me getting lattes that's the reason why (laughs) i'm like don't own a home at the moment you know no that's definitely not the reason (laughs) (laughs) but like I don't know it like it's it's things like this you don't even like it's not my field it's not my expertise you don't even realize you've like internalized those things um but speaking of that like I would love if you could like tell us a bit more about like yourself and like how you got started just like you know the Bridget Casey story (laughs) the preamble so it's pretty long because I've actually been creating financial content online more than 10 years now which is shocking like Yes, like pre-TikTok times. Where? I was originally a blogger. So in like 2010, I graduated. I had tons of student loan debt and I legitimately like Googled, how do I pay off student loans? And one of the things that came up were all these personal finance blogs because that was like the main media of sharing and social at that time. And people were like chronicling their own journeys out of student loan debt. So I'm like, hey, this is really like inspiring and empowering, like the same way social media is now in these spaces. So I started my own blog about paying off my student loan debt. And then I started like talking about investing and saving. And this was like 
just self-taught. This is me like Googling something and then writing about it. (laughs) You didn't go to school. You didn't go to school for this at all. And like, what, what I did later. Okay. What what happened at this point? No, I was just like ad hoc blog of my own experience. And I would like (laughs) write down like how I was spending my money. And it was, it was the same as the internet is now. People would like leave comments about how dumb I was and frivolous with my buddy because I bought jeans instead of like saving extra in my emergency fund. <laughs> it's like that. Like nothing's changed in 12 years. That's, that's the message. Um, but I did like enjoy it so much. And I actually became so passionate, especially about investing, that I went back to school and I did my MBA in finance with the intention of becoming an investment banker. Um, But while I was actually doing my degree in finance, I became more passionate about entrepreneurship. Like the running theme here is I was doing whatever would get me the richest in the shortest amount of time. And so every time I learned about a new job that would make you wealthier, uh, that was the one I went after. And so I actually did never go to work as an investment banker. I graduated from my MBA and I immediately went full-time self-employed. And that's what I've been doing ever since. And so while the medium I present my content has changed over time, because I'm evolving the way the internet is evolving. I yeah, I've been doing this for literally forever. I'm a geriatric content creator at this point. You're an OG. No, you've you've seen some shit. (laughs) 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 Yeah. um, I I mean, wow, well, good for you for like, just sticking with it. I guess that gives me hope because I'm only almost a year into it, barely like a little over six months into like kind of doing this type of stuff full time. Um, And it's nice to see that longevity because this is something that it's like, it's woken something up in me and I just want to keep it going. And, you know, I I mean, apps come and go, you know, like the popularity of them. So it's not Mm -hmm. like I'm like, I need to be a TikToker forever, but it's just, I just want to keep chatting with everyone. Like this is like the highlight of my day. And I think that's why you're succeeding so well on this platform is because you do show up authentically and that's what people want. And people are always going to want to have a conversation about the things that we're interested in, whether that's pop culture or money. And if you are someone like willing to show up authentically and have those conversations that are informative and entertaining, then you will always have an audience. And I like to tell people that because I think the career of like an influencer is really unsustainable. But I don't like I said, I've been doing it for 10 years now and I'm doing the fine. So well like it's the weirdest thing when people like make these blanket statements because yes, okay, like obviously there is volatility to the industry. I would also argue there's very little job security in any industry. Um, (laughs) And like, basically when I quit my job, I mean, I was really, I was going on on a limb. Like it was not a wise decision financially whatsoever to quit my job. I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, And so I just was like, oh, I'm just going to do it and fly by the seat of my pants and maybe, um, you know, have some rice and beans for like an undetermined (laughs) amount of time. Um, But like my thought going into it was like, okay, the only way that I can kind of make this as potentially stable as possible is to try to have as many income streams as possible. So yeah, I talked to brands about their strategy. Like I just, I do like some of my own stuff, some stuff for other people. And I've found that that's kind of like the way that I feel, I guess, a bit reassured with the money side of it, but also just like emotionally, it's not just like me pouring my heart out all day, which I would definitely (laughs) burn out with that. (laughs) Yeah, I think you're doing it the right way. Like multiple income streams is awesome. And you do get better. Like you learn so much. Like the first year, 
uh, I was in my business. I was like actually awful. I did very similar to you. Like, and it was really hard for me. All my MBA classmates were like graduating into jobs, making six figures. And I was like, I'm going to go like blog on the internet and post some tweets. Like I looked so dumb. Like I looked like an idiot. And I remember like, who's looking dumb now? (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, there were months where like, I think I made like $600 and I was really, really struggling. But first, like, I'm so proud of you that you made that transition because even if it was not best financially at the time, like you got a huge emotional ROI about that. And I think, especially now as I'm getting older, like I realized that that's a really important thing to consider that even if something is expensive or not the best decision financially, our life isn't about just getting like the highest number in your bank account. We have to think of things like what will really like fill my cup, make me happy, make my life feel meaningful and useful. Um, Like I don't want anyone to be destitute, but I think that it's okay to take risks, especially when you're young, if it's in something that you feel passionate and fulfilling about, because honestly, like if it doesn't work out, then you just go back to a job. It's not a big deal. Oh yeah, totally. And like part of it is that it wasn't as much of a risk because like now I'm in my thirties, but I spent my whole twenties, like trying to start businesses, falling on my face, failing miserably, like making like less than $600, like (laughs) going to the red, like selling my little knickknacks. And so that was, it turns out all necessary for me to actually make it work now because I just used all those lessons, like, you know, to my own benefit. Plus, you know, ADHD talk hasn't hurt my cause (laughs) because they've helped me just like basically be like, hey, you're okay. Like, you know, your brain's not broken. There's just different ways to like set up your time. So ADHD talk has like broken my brain because I get thrown into that like a vortex of TikTok sometimes. And I'm like, why is the algorithm showing me this? And then people are like, signs, you might have ADHD. And I'm like, that's not signs. That's just normal life. And then my friends with ADHD are like, oh, we have something to tell you. So I haven't gotten like formally diagnosed, but I feel like ADHD talk is just like how I normally function. But I guess that apparently is how people with ADHD function. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of feel like the For You page loves to diagnose every little like yeah. part of our lives and everything's a trauma response. Everything's like a pet. Like <laughs> as soon as I hear the dramatic music, I'm like, I've started to just scroll away. Cause I'm like, I'm going to get sucked into this. I'm in a vulnerable state right now. And I'm gonna be like, Oh my God, maybe my childhood was like that. Like just, just <laughs> like pulling like things out of nowhere. But as for the ADHD part, it's like, mine is a pretty like clear cut case. I'm sort of like a late, you know, getting my diagnosis in my thirties, but of the people <laughs> that have witnessed me in like my personal life they're like you didn't know like wait I thought you knew I was like no I, I thought it was quirky they're like you are like textbook like upon first meeting like yep so oh no so I yeah I haven't gotten any diagnosis as far as I'm concerned if I'm like still functioning day to day but I don't need something else to worry about so I'm avoiding it for now well yeah so for me, I guess because I wasn't like, I was sort of like swimming upstream and not like working with my strengths. I wasn't functioning mm-hmm. for a lot of my twenties. Like I was literally like drowning in like responsibilities, dishes, like just you name it, like yeah. truly like not functioning. Um, and so turns out just a little bit of meds and a little bit of like, you know, having some honest talks with myself and uh, I'm <laughs> on my way. I'm a little slightly more functional than I w- once was. <laughs> Um, so we're going to kind of talk about the specifics of like pop culture 
and finances and the economy. But first, mm-hmm. I'm very interested in hearing your take on the overall obsession with celebrities and wealth and what you think that has to do with our own perceptions of money. Because this is like a very huge ongoing theme of this podcast and just like mind is what does our idolatry of celebrities like say about us? So I'd love to hear from like the financial expert point of view. (laughs) I mean, this is something I've only been digging into uh, recently because I didn't really notice it. I never considered it until uh, the past few years. But earlier this year, I actually took a course um, that was called Money Trauma. And it's about like all our traumas and anxieties with our finances. And in the course, they actually pointed out that while we call things like personal finance, most of our anxiety around money is actually like caused by the capitalist culture we live in. And as soon as I learned that, I cannot unsee it. And I think one of the ways that manifests the most is in our obsession with celebrities, because in the system, they're the ones that are the haves and we're the have not. Mm-hmm. And the human response to that when someone has something that we really want or really need, in this case, like money is tied to our survival, it does become an obsession and this desire to keep up with celebrities and watch them and reality television is a way that we can live vicariously in those lives of opulence and luxury when we don't have it ourselves. Yeah, well, even just you saying the words like money trauma, I got like a lump in my throat because like this is the type of thing where I'm trying like really desperately to like get better at it. But it's been like the a huge ongoing issue for me in my life of just like, you know, going between feast and famine more on the famine yeah. side of things, like really just skating by like and then when I'm doing badly, like mental health wise impulsively just like buying like unnecessary shit because I'm like stressed out about money you know yes making it worse essentially and that's like a very common trauma response yeah that's a (laughs) that's something I do that's fun (laughs) that I'm really trying not to do (laughs) maybe if I like tell all the listeners it just like it's like up and out I'm like I'm getting like nervous I'm like (laughs) You know, but like, I, I think that like, I, I think if I hadn't been on um, the platforms I'm on and like talking to so many people, I really would have thought that this is just me. Like, this is like, I'm like this outlier and everyone has it figured out. But like, I know everyone, like yeah. <laughs> online shopping is designed for you. <laughs> it, it, it really is. And also like what I'm realizing too, is that like part of this whole, like, just element of like secrecy around money. Like that's how inequality stays in place. Like that's how like, um, women, people of color, like that's how like everybody stays where they are because they don't have the information to empower themselves or they don't know what their coworkers are making because it's taboo to talk about. Yeah. And I, and I agree completely. Uh, like I've now been talking about it for so long. I like forget that it's taboo for other people because I talk about it every day and people disclose their finances to me. Like nothing, like people come up to me in the street and they're like, Hey, I'm a fan of you on TikTok. My student loan debt is $43,000. <laughs> I have this much in savings. My RSP is only at $300. Like, what should I do? And I'm like, wow, hello. Uh, what's your name? <laughs> well for me like it took one friend of mine who 
is of that mind, like very pragmatic. And Mm -hmm. she's always basically like anytime, um, I've also like jumped from, I've had so many different jobs and anytime I'm like looking into one, she's like, what's the salary? Like, what are you going to negotiate? Like, how are we going to phrase this? Like, have you looked in Glassdoor to like compare, you know, um, salaries in that industry and, and like just her putting it out there. So in such a normal way, I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is okay. This is okay to talk about. Yeah. It's really okay to talk about. And I think uh, women especially don't talk about it as much. And they're also not as aggressive when it comes to negotiating. Granted, sometimes when you negotiate your salary as a woman, it's like received very poorly because they're like, oh, look at this aggressive woman <laughs> asking for more money. We can't give you that. Yeah. How can we oppress you economically if we pay you fairly? Yeah, you're being difficult, bordering on hysterical. <laughs> yeah. So like, and that's why I like to talk about it. And I also like to talk about all the wealth inequality data, because it's really, really shocking. And I think if more people realize like how large those gaps are, uh, maybe they would get upset enough to do something. Because I think we're seeing again with the celebrities like this spending on TV and uh, Kim Kardashian showing off her cashmere lined plane. And I'm like, people are not getting angry enough at like how big the wealth disparity is like I just don't think anyone should have a private jet when some children don't have food at school yeah and like I think all of us kind of to some degree like kind of hate watch that stuff (laughs) but it's like we're it's like this sick fascination that even if you're fully like of the camp of like I hate the Kardashians 100% there's still like I feel like this innate part of all of us that sees that is like I want the cashmere plane. Like it doesn't have to be the cashmere plane, but it's like some element of like, I want basically endless access to experiences to, you know, just like to do whatever you want, basically. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because that actually is a trauma response due to scarcity. And there's a great book on this. It's called Scarcity. I can't remember the author's now, but in it, they talk about a study, which I actually listened to a podcast that went over this study uh, recently. I was listening to the podcast 99% Invisible, and they have an episode, I think it's called Revisionist History. And Malcolm Gladwell is the narrator. And he talks about how they did this study. Uh, I think it was in the 1940s, where they like starved a group of men, like they just did not give them food for like, they signed up for this, because there was no ethics at that time. And you could just do whatever study you wanted. And these men went without food so they could essentially assess the impact of starvation on the human psyche and the human body. And what happened is when these when these men were not able to eat, they became obsessed with food to the point that they would go to restaurants and watch people eat. They would sit in their bunks and read cookbooks. Some of them even said, when the study is over, I'm going to become a chef. Like that's how severe the response was to scarcity of food. And now I see that I think we're all living that response when we're watching these celebrities with all their wealth and all their assets. And we're like, we can't get enough of it, even though we don't have that in our own life. Yeah, I mean, I'm a big advocate for like, you know, maybe we should just maybe it's time to bring back the guillotine, you know, we had it during. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like, on a more like when I'm actually honest with myself, I'm like, I would like a cute little purse or like, you know, I'm like, it's like, I, I, I try to like, also check in with myself and be like, you know what, some of it is legitimately just like, jealousy that comes from, I guess, 
this like build up of opulence and it being presented as like, this is the key to life and to all your struggles of like, it's tough. It's like, even if you know, that's not true, like you're still just like, like (laughs) you can't know that it's not true. Your brain is telling you that this is true. (laughs) Your brain is designed to operate that way. Okay. Like that kind of ties into something I've been thinking about lately, which is like, when people say money doesn't buy you happiness, I've noticed it's only ever rich people that say that. Like, do you have any, <laughs> do you have any like, so thoughts that, on that? I do. And so that's <laughs> a lie. I think that's just like capitalist propaganda. So the, the poor do not revolt. Um, so they don't break out the guillotine. But um, I, there is actual studies that show that happiness and well-being increases with income. And for a long time, there was this myth that it kind of like leveled off at 75 thousand dollars a year which would be equivalent of ninety thousand dollars today but then a new study came out and said hey it never levels off as long as your income goes up your happiness and well-being goes up oh because i i heard the myth like i was i yeah i heard it was eighty thousand dollars a year so that's the myth i guess that i've been spreading for but it's it is just <laughs> exponential happiness with money it yeah i think like it goes up less quickly like i think there's a pretty sharp <laughs> jump if you're going from like zero to a hundred thousand dollars yeah but it continues to go up uh after that maybe at a slower rate but no there doesn't seem to be a <laughs> tipping off point where it's like more money doesn't bring happiness more money does seem to always bring happiness because it buys all the things that make us comfortable convenience luxury time access to social circles and material experiences that we couldn't get otherwise so no (laughs) that was a lie Uh, money does make you happy so go get as much as you can yeah yeah maybe it's like the like actual truth of it is that it doesn't like guarantee happiness like there's many like wealthy miserable people so it's like I see basically if you haven't like taken time to know yourself truly and like know yourself kind of beyond the the noise of like daily life then no like I don't think you'll fully be happy but if you've like just done like self-reflection and if you need it done therapy just done you did the things you have to do to like really take a deep look at yourself you do that plus money and it's like yeah you're that (laughs) sounds like pretty much a recipe to happiness right there yeah, I mean, like money can't buy you everything. It can't ensure that like your loved ones never die or that you never face accident or illness, but it can remove like what are the most common stressors around like our security in the present and the future. And yeah. I think that's the stress that most people are living on. Like it, it, like some people granted are happy on very small incomes, but it takes like quite a bit of mental energy and a really good personality to still be happy when you're in a state where it's like, I don't know if I can pay my rent next month. Like I'm not a person that could be happy in that. And I, I lived in poverty for most of my life and it was like really stressful. And I wouldn't never ex- explain those as a joyful time when I was worried about like, do I have enough for food? Yeah. And I think, I don't know if I, I read this somewhere, but it was like talking about how expensive it is to be poor. Like, yes. you know, if you can't buy the car in cash, like, you know, you have to, you know, spend like the interest on it. Um, You know, if you don't pay your credit card off right away, like you're paying interest, like it yes. costs so much more to not have money. Like that's the great sick joke of capitalism. Yeah. The first time that made me angry that I really realized it was when I was like my little student loan debt blog that 
I realized that the kids I had gone to school with in university, my peers, whose parents had paid for school, they just paid out of pocket and that was it. And then I was paying off these student loans for years. They were accruing interest. And so I actually paid more money for the same degree than the kids whose parents paid for it. And I was like, that is so unfair. Yeah. And like, there's so many little things like that. Like even- Even um, bank fees, right? If you don't keep a minimum balance in your bank account, you pay a fee. If you get an insufficient fund charge, it's like $40 or something. Like it's atrocious what we do to the poor. Yeah. And like, I had this moment, um, I got a Costco membership for the first time this year. Um, So my boyfriend and I got like a joint little account and we were in Costco. and I was like, so happy and I'm like snatching everything (laughs) up. And he was kind of having this like total, like existential moment. Like he grew up like, um, like amazing, like single mom who like just had to, you know, like really hustle. And he was, he was just like, Oh my God, like people that don't have a car can't get here they can't yeah. they can't get this book stuff they can't make any of these savings like maybe they can't even afford the upfront like whatever it is 100 130 dollars whatever the membership fee is yeah but he's like you have to like have money to like get here in the first place to save money and I'm like yeah he was having this in the middle of the crowd at costco i'm like <laughs> i totally hear and respect that like we gotta get we gotta get out of here <laughs> Let's talk about this on the way home. <laughs> yeah, you're like, we need our 18 muffins for $10. <laughs> Have your crisis in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like well, it's more that I was just like, I get like anxious. Like the longer I spend in Costco, the more like the crowds. And like, it feels like a kind of like every man for himself kind of environment. Like, <laughs> I don't know. So I don't even go there because I feel like I overspend in that environment. Because I'm like, of course I need six of this item when I came for like, one. So I don't have a Costco membership because I, I think I spend more money. If I oh go my there. God, you're smart. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh, well, if I buy three olive oils now, like <laughs> I'll just have it for a long time. Like I just do so much. I do so many stupid things like that. Anyway, but like, so I, um, like I want to get back to this sort of this conversation of like looking to, um, basically like celebrities and wealth and excess as this kind of like mm-hmm. aspirational thing. Um, and like before recording, you mentioned the Kardashians, but I also, I had this like flash of Oprah's favorite things. Like, do you remember that from back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. Cause that was the event of the year. And it was like this capitalist, like, I don't know, like Super Bowl. Everyone's just screaming and like crying and falling on the floor. Like, getting these items and some of them are like life-changing but some of them are like a hairbrush whatever um but <laughs> yeah, like but they're crunchies. still yeah they're still just like <laughs> losing their mind and like we just like love watching that like you're saying it's all coming from a place of like scarcity within us like is it is it that we're like we're watching this wishing it was us like or is there more I to think it so i i mean i'm sure it's a myriad of factors but i do think scarcity is a big driving factor and in that case like oprah handing out tens of thousands of dollars in gifts to people it's like she's this benevolent billionaire that's bestowing her wealth among her subjects right and there is this sense watching it you're like oh this could be me or if you see an item you really like if you buy it you get to have a little piece of that and not to bring up the kardashians again because i actually love the kardashians i it's a sick obsession that started during the pandemic i used to hate them and then i got 
sucked in and now I can't get out. This is a safe space. There's literally an episode, just a few episodes ago called We Can't Stop Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Like it's not, <laughs> it's fine. I know I listened to it because I can't, I can't not consume anything. And I think about it all the time. Like I'm hate watching um, whatever, like Kylie's Closet of Birkins or Kim's Airplane while I'm like, placing an order on skims and I'm just like yeah like why am I doing this what's wrong with me well I love like okay so you bring up that study about the men being starved and like reading cookbooks mm-hmm. and I'm just like I'm having this like moment of just realizing <laughs> like oh my god that's us like yeah that's <laughs> us watching our shows and our movies and like (laughs) oh my god we are those men with the cookbooks like in the crazy eyes just being like watching people in restaurants oh my god that's us (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was that's uh what I'm saying we're the ones that are having to budget our incomes we will never have access to that level of wealth so the only way we can really consume it is by observation and trying to have that experience like vicariously through them and that's also why we have this insatiable demand for them to share more and more with us because we keep hoping like the next thing they share will give us the hit as if we're really experiencing it but it just leaves us hungrier yeah, like, okay, well, maybe then if we sign up for culinary school, like, then if we just, like, you know, just, like, take it as far as we can go without actually eating, it's, like, then maybe we'll be full. Like, that's so sick and so, this is, like, this is one of those recordings I could already tell I'm going to need to, like, go sit in a dark room and just, like, stare on, like, just process this, like, <laughs> these, like, realizations. Um, <laughs> yeah, it breaks your brain and you also realize that you can't uh, stop it. Like there's actually a really good documentary that you can watch for free on YouTube. I think it's called The Century of Self. It's a BBC documentary that talks about like our culture of consumerism and yeah, how our psyche is manipulated to want all these goods and participate in the system because it's all many layers. Like we're obsessed with these celebrities because we want the life that we have, but they also need us to want that and buy it aspirationally so we can keep the whole machine going right yeah that's it they're they're nothing without (laughs) us so then what does that make us that's like my big like thesis like I guess question of this whole thing but like yeah it it is very interesting to ponder um okay so I'm certainly no financial expert uh, but something that I'm like I mean in fact like when you wanted to come on the pod I'm like selfishly this is incredible like I I need to know any information you're willing to like put out there well I love to share so you can ask me anything yeah well this is my I mean this whole podcast is basically my selfish little project so I'm just like it gives if not there's not really an excuse for me to just keep reaching out to people and be like do you want to talk to me for an hour but um something that's really fascinated me is the shift the paradigm shift in terms of like wealth displays of wealth in shows and like basically i'll say media the shift in opulence before the 2008 recession and after like and so what i mean by that like more specifically i'm sure people are already like thinking of examples but i'm thinking of like you know, the sex in the city where it's like writing a little column and having this like amazing life. But even like, for some reason, it's like, it's always Macaulay Culkin to me that like (laughs) epitomizes this because maybe because I loved, well, I loved his movies growing up. I guess we all did, but 
So he had like Richie Rich, which was about him being crazily rich. But like the real Richie Rich is also Home Alone. Like, <laughs> like you know what I like thinking about a world where there's just this family who's like the guy's like I do business and the mom's like I do fashion, but they don't really get into it, <laughs> and they like own a mansion. Twelve people are going first class to Paris over Christmas, like, like for fun, and it's like. And the plot is like, oh, my God, kid got left alone. But like, no one's <laughs> asking, mansion. like, how are you affording this? Like, so I guess I'm just like fascinated by that and how now things are different, I guess, after 2008. Or are they like, what are your what are your thoughts on that? I think they go in cycles. And I actually never thought about this until you mentioned it in our DMs and for this podcast. But I do think we are in an era where there's like, first, like, wealth was a little bit obscured, people had it, but it was impolite to talk about it. And then as we got close to that financial crash, people were living like really large, it was better to like be in your face about it like you remember that palace of versailles couple that were building like that full-scale replica of versailles in like california and then they got like okay okay i think i've talked about this on the pod before for anyone new go watch queen of versailles on netflix like i don't know i'll link it in the show notes like it is the craziest documentary i've ever seen yeah but basically it's like the the like tldr version is like they're building the biggest house in america and they're making a documentary about it not knowing that this family would completely crash during the recession and like they'd be filming all of it it's insane so <laughs> yeah so i and i think that's what we're going through now again we had this like big run up of opulence and insane wealth and there was i think like they were calling it flex culture and that has been all over social media and it's like rich kids of instagram and people with their like pet is that, tigers and is that like girl boss also like does that part of it or a is little that different bit. that was more like a weird brand of cringe feminism for a while <laughs> just I, cringy white lady <laughs> feminism be like you got this get out there ladies <laughs> But yeah, but this era that we've had recently of people like showing off their garage full of six figure cars and their multiple properties and these insane vacations. And now we're heading into, well, it's already, we're in a very painful like economic time. The middle class and lower income classes are really suffering. And it is getting like downright offensive when someone's talking about their like $50,000 weekend vacation. So I do think we're going to see a flip in the next, probably over the course of the next one to two years, because people are getting rightfully, justifiably mad at these ostentatious displays of wealth. I think we'll still want to consume it some ways from the sources we want, like the Kardashians or other celebrities. Yeah. But I think those like influencers that were just selling a glamorous life, like the pushback from them, from what I've seen, even like comments on TikTok and other social medias has been like fairly aggressive because people are mad <laughs> as they should be. Well, it's interesting. Like, I guess, cause I I've definitely seen the backlash towards like um, influencers showing off a, a lot of opulence. And I had kind of attributed that to the pandemic, but I hadn't mm -hmm. also thought about it in light of this recession. Like we're in a recession now, or is it coming? Like what's, we are. what's, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we are in a recession now and uh, things are going to get worse before they get better. Sorry. everyone. <laughs> really, no, really here to no, spread joy on the podcast. I am like, I no, no, no. I emotionally prepared for this whole 
this whole interview because I was like, I was like, we got to get into it. And that means some things I just got to rip the bandaid off and like face the truth, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think economically things are going to continue to get challenging. Like inflation isn't slowing down. Well, it's kind of slowing down, but not at a rate that will that we can feel safe about. So things are going to continue to be expensive. There's going to be a few more interest rate raises, which means anyone carrying debt, whether that's like student loans, lines of credit, mortgages, those are going to continue to get expensive. And we're approaching a point where this is having consequences on people that like they're really feeling it. Because at first you're like, oh, things are a little bit more expensive, but you can kind of absorb it in your budget. You can maybe cut some things or like slow down your savings and it's fine. And then it gets a little harder where you're like, oh shoot, I have to actually like draw down my savings or I have to take on some debt for this. But then a few more months go by and people are just out of resources to deal with the increased costs. And that is unfortunately where we're heading into now. And when the majority of your population is in financial distress, and you're trying to like show them your diamond encrusted watch, like they will roll the guillotine out. And I mean, that's fine. <laughs> Which like, hey, <laughs> that's the only thing that Jeff Bezos deserves. And I say that as a big hypocrite who had an Amazon package arrive today. But like, you know what? <laughs> like, we're just, we're just doing our best out here. <laughs> well, that's just it. Like, that doesn't make you a bad person. We've constructed this like, economic system that I was joking with this with my other friend, like you could even only consume anti-capitalist content from like capitalist corporations providing it. Like I just said, go watch a BBC documentary on YouTube. <laughs> Whoa, wait, that was another one. That was another doozy. I feel like we need a like, like for usually for heavier topics, like I try to give a content warning, but I feel like these big <laughs> realizations like need some type of content warning. Like we can only... <laughs> <laughs> we we can only consume wait, yeah we, we can, can only consume anti-capitalist content from capitalist corporations because they own the entire system and we at this point don't have a choice about participating in it yeah I mean I'm in Montreal which is a weird little city that has like a little anarchist bookstore I think there's one or two here like it's <laughs> it's like everyone's like fight the system but at the same time I'm sure the landlords that they're renting that space from are like you know involved in some like bigger I don't know non-anarchist financial dealings basically <laughs> I don't think everyone involved with that is an anarchist like nor could you be you know but um but yeah it's true it's true we're like trying to we're trying to fight the system like it makes me think of um when I was young and like super idealistic and I was talking about like whether like you sh how much you should participate in society basically or like how you should make a change and and someone was like look you could either be on the boat with a little hammer like trying to like you know take it apart or work on it or you can be in a canoe like miles behind it and it's like that's us like ordering our little like fight the system things on amazon <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is challenging. And I have these conversations with people often, because one of the things that I teach is like investing in the stock market. And people are like, well, this is like super unethical. And I can't find like companies that I believe in uh, to invest ethically in. And people are like really stressed out about it. But you can't make decisions <laughs> when you're financially insecure, because the only person it's going to harm is you. Like, 
withdrawing completely from capitalism in protest of capitalism, like capitalism doesn't care. You have to like, honestly, take care of yourself, take care of your own finances. And then we can start criticizing the system from within it. Because I do, I get so many comments on TikTok that people are like, why are you criticizing capitalism when you've won capitalism? And I'm like, because I've won. That's how I know it's bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, because literally like you're speaking as someone who like, has an internet connection like yeah no one's going off and living in a field like besides like I don't know like there's like some Russian grannies that I saw once on like a vice documentary where it's like they're legitimately completely self-sufficient have never interacted with yeah they're fully off grid like some people you know in the Amazon like there's a handful of people in the world for the rest of us it's like yeah let's work with what we got here And there's lots of opportunities to improve things, but you have to have, yeah, the connection, the access and the resources to improve those things. Like, it's not good to just say like, oh, this is all messed up. So I'm not going to participate at all. You should really be in it and be like, hey, here's some things we can do to make this better for everyone. Yeah. And and that was kind of going to be my next question is like, do you have sort of like blanket advice on just like a way to get started for let's say the me's of the world who like (laughs) I get sweaty you know when I check my bank account I've learned from the TikTok financial people that I'm supposed to be checking it more to like get (laughs) make it normal like I've literally like I've learned that recently but like you know I get panicked basically and because of that I just don't really like I'm now because of you and like your your like the the people like you on the app I now know I'm like okay I would like to invest but I also like I don't know where to start so what (laughs) would you have any blanket like advice on that I have I have so much uh blanket (laughs) advice like the first thing I would say like if you're feeling that anxiety that you do like please be kind to yourself a lot of people react very negatively when they uh don't know things they think like well I'm stupid I don't understand money or this is too stressful I'm just gonna keep ignoring it and that will make it worse and like it's okay to find money stressful we live in a system that makes it stressful for everyone and so just be like hey it's okay and if things are not perfect it is not entirely your fault again we live in a system that was really set up it's designed so that you fail and that you don't get ahead so some of the frustrations like I don't like the bootstrap narrative and everything is like personal responsibility because a lot of it is just it's really hard to get ahead in an age of stagnant wages and insecure work and high debt and things like that. And also like, that's one of the ways that we've been like kind of screwed over the most in our society is like individual, everything. It's all on you. You're, you're on your own and it's just you and you got to figure this out yourself. And if you're in this spot, (laughs) it's your fault. Like, yeah. (laughs) And it's not totally your fault, but there are still some things that you can do to improve your situation. So it is important to check your bank account, (laughs) like even maybe once a week, just log in, just make sure you can log in. Like that's also an important thing that you know your passwords and username. Uh, And the first thing you want to do essentially is just make sure that there's more money coming in than going out. You really can't move on to any next step if you're continuously going into debt. So you do have to do the basics of like making a budget. What things do I have to spend money on? What things do I like to spend money on? And then allocate your money accordingly. Do you have a way that you recommend making a budget? Like, do you advise people on like the way to do that? Or is it just like not a one size fits all? It's kind of not a one size uh, fits all thing. I don't do um, a lot of budgeting stuff because 
there's like so many free templates and things that you can get like one great person to follow on TikTok and Instagram is OU Budget, O-H-H, Y-O-U Budget. Uh, she's awesome. And she has like spreadsheets. She's who I use. I downloaded her spreadsheets from Etsy. And that's what I'm using for uh, budgeting just to track things and like make sure again, that there's more money coming in than going out. Once you achieve that, and this might take like two or three months, and it's okay for that to take that much time. Like a lot of people get anxious, especially if they're in their 30s or even 40s. And they're like, Oh, my God, I don't have any retirement savings. I don't have this or that. It's like, and they start panicking. So they don't do anything. I'm like, just take two or three months to make a budget that works. And then you can move on uh, to the next step. Okay, so so far, we got be kind to yourself, which like, I was like, have you been talking to my therapist? Did she send you? (laughs) Um, But like, but yeah, that is actually that is, I think, like, huge and can't be like understated, because it's true. Like, chances are, if you're like me, you've been avoiding your bank account. Like, it's also that when you do check your bank account, you're like, fuck, like, what did I do? Like, you're just like, you know, cursing yourself or making these like decisions that you made or whatever, like, Mm -hmm. or not cursing yourself, but just like not feeling good about yourself or being like generous and kind, like you would with a friend who's like gotten themselves in being like, it's okay. You know, like we can just figure it out. That's such a good example. Cause if you were like, Oh my God, I can't believe I ordered, like skip the dishes for the third time this week. Like if your friend told you that you'd be like, Hey, it's okay. You had like a really stressful week. You didn't really have time to make dinner or go shopping. Like maybe that was your only option. But when it's yourself, you're like, Oh my God, I'm such a frivolous idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I love Yeah. I love how you said skip the dishes too. I found out from mentioning that to another guest that that's just a Canadian thing. Oh, (laughs) he was like, wait, that's the funniest name ever. I was like, actually, it is kind of funny. Skip the oh dishes. yeah, I listened to that episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm also a skip the dishes girl. But anyhow, yeah. Okay. So so okay. So be kind to yourself. Give yourself some time to create a budget. I like also the time frame because it's like I, I hear like budget, you need a budget, but I'll like try something, it like won't work immediately, yeah. and then I'll give up on it. But being like, you know, like it's none of this is yeah. obvious to me. Like give yourself two to three months, just like slowly figure it out. Yeah. And because your expenses change, you generally don't have a good idea of how much you're expending in one category or another, because like I spend differently in the summer than the winter, like in the summer, I go out for lunch, like multiple times a week in the winter, I don't ever leave my home, but my heating bill goes way up high. So whoa, uh, whoa, wait, the another, wow. Okay. We're, (laughs) okay. This is where, um, I wish I was just kind of like listening to this podcast because I would be pausing it right now and be like, I need to just take that in different spending in different seasons, of course. Yeah. And there's different spending in different seasons of your life. And I think that's what a lot of people aren't prepared for it. Like I have a five year old now and the first few years of daycare, like were so financially burdensome. And when you're a new parent and you're paying these daycare bills, like at the time, her daycare bill was like $1,600 a month. And I was like, Oh, my God, and you feel like it will never end. And now I'm like, she's five. And now she just goes to after school care. I'm like, Oh, my God, like it ended, it wasn't a permanent expense. So we have to think of our budgets. Yeah, they can be different month to month or season to season. And they will also be different year to year. Eventually, you do get to a point where your student loans are paid off. Eventually, you do build up like the emergency fund that you need, and you get to allocate money differently when those financial obligations are taken care of. So 
again, like, I think it's okay. If like some months you're like, Oh shoot, I went over budget. Like that happens to me too. I'm like, I've been doing this again for like 12 years and I still have months where I'm like, Oh, I spent more than I actually should have. It's just like, that's just life. It doesn't mean you're bad with money. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you are a human living in the world. (laughs) But like that attitude, like it seems so like obvious, like, yeah, of course you'd think that way, but it's like finances (laughs) have been run by like the douchebag, like Gary Vee's of the world and whatever for so long, basically until for me, until TikTok, uh, until then I hadn't seen any other, like any- You didn't find my blog? (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) no, I didn't. I'm so sorry. I don't know how I missed it, but like I did see all the YouTube, like, hey guys, like, welcome back. Like 50 ways that I got, became a millionaire by the time I was 25, (laughs) like those things. And so, but just giving yourself that allowance like being like okay it's okay if you've gone over budget like I'm really trying to um have a more like middle ground type of thinking where it's like yeah. okay if I do go over budget to not just like scrap the whole thing and be like well I failed so <laughs> it's done now <laughs> yeah don't do that like if you've gone over budget like three or four months in a row then there's a time to think like hmm, like I either need to change my budget or I have to like do something else to make this uh work for me because a lot of our, this is kind of tangential to what we're talking about, but a lot of our spending behaviors are more like our habit and the environment that we're in, as opposed to like how much money we actually have. Like if you always go out to lunch with your coworkers, like maybe there's a way for you like to sneak out 10 minutes earlier and go to a hidden room by yourself so you don't spend money. Like you, sometimes you just have to adjust things to put more money in your bank account. Like one thing I used to do all the time was there would be days where I literally would not put my debit card in my wallet. So then when it came time to go out, I'm like, oh, I actually don't have money. I have to eat the lunch that I packed. So sometimes like it's a matter of adjusting our behavior. It's not just like staying in a spreadsheet, trying to make everything work. Right. Right. Okay. Like maybe next time you go to Costco, you should only bring cash. So you can't, or they don't accept cash, do they? No, but they do. Um, okay. This is like, <laughs> this is a very Canadian tangent. Um, <laughs> they don't accept cash or visa. They only accept MasterCard. Okay. And the only MasterCard that I have is the Canadian tire one. <laughs> And like they gave, <laughs> and they gave me like I think they you start with like a three hundred dollar limit or something like that. Um, oh, and perfect. I, yeah, but I, so I call <laughs> I called them and asked them to raise it, and they're like, no, they're not raising any Canadian Tire credit cards right now. I was like, okay, yeah, all right, I got three hundred bucks to spend on my Mastercard. So like, yeah, just thinking like actually that is kind of a nice limitation. That explains why you can go to Costco and I can't because I spend more. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, I need six pairs of jeans. <laughs> well, I'm going also with two people. And, and I'm like, well, if, if like one of us goes over with the other, the other bill, like, I'm not, no, but I am not feeding kids. Like I've truly have like no reason to like get half the stuff I do. <laughs> but like you, when you're like, oh, I don't go to Costco because I spend like, I don't actually save money. I was like, oh my God, called out. Like I, I'm truly just lying to myself. I'm like, next time I'll make wise, wise choices. <laughs> but the only, yeah, like <laughs> the only strategy. You need a list and stick to it. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, no. It goes beyond a list. So this is the solution. Um, Our thought is every time we go, go first to the food court, get the like $1.50 hot dogs because they're so filling like that and the fries and hey, great meal, quick and dirty. And then you're so 
uncomfortably full that you're like not really thinking like yeah. you're not thinking impulsively exactly no that's really important you're not supposed to go grocery shopping or any kind of shopping when you're hungry because it does trigger you tending to buy more so that see you already have behaviors in place to take care of your money you were saying you don't know anything and you're not managing it properly but look you're already doing good you have a credit card that doesn't have higher than a 300 dollars limit and you eat your hot dog before you shop (laughs) (laughs) hey maybe yeah (laughs) i'm just positioning myself to be the next up-and-coming uh canadian financial (laughs) (laughs) starting with my costco hacks You know what? That would go viral. You know, if you made a video on that, that would like, the algorithm would eat that up. (laughs) The other thing that I want to say, because you mentioned, so I'm single. I don't live with someone. I don't think I ever uh, want to. I like, I love being alone. Uh, Oh, I live live alone. I live alone. I should say that we, but anyway, sorry. Yeah. Like we, we have our own (laughs) home set up. Okay. Well, for people who are in partnerships, one thing that does cause a lot of tension in a relationship is the expenses and splitting it. And so um, in the past, when I have lived with partners and the way that I still think is the most fair way to split expenses is to do it proportional to income. A lot of women kind of get pushed into doing this 50-50 split when women tend to earn less than men, they tend to carry higher student loan balances than men. They're also more likely to take time away from their career to have children and to raise them that a 50-50 split is just not equitable. So if you are in a partnership with a man, if you're in a traditional heterosexual relationship and you're trying to do your household budget together, like please split expenses according to income. So if the man is bringing in like 60% of the household income and you're bringing in 40% of it, that means you should only be paying 40% of the rent or mortgage. You should only pay 40% of the grocery bill to account uh, for that difference. Because I know a lot of couples are just like, oh, 50-50, it's fair. It's not fair when one partner is a lower earning partner. That's interesting. And also like, um, I would just add like something that I've learned from my situation that I'm in currently, like, is to also like evaluate it from like an intersectional lens. So like, what I mean by that Mm -hmm. is like, um, so I would see all these videos being like, you know, if it is a hetero thing, like the man should always pay first, they should pay for everything on, on, on that type of stuff. And I was like, yeah, they should, (laughs) cause it's a man's world. And then like, poor Oliver he listens sometimes I'm Oliver sorry I'm talking about you so much on this episode (laughs) but like but when we started dating like him and his family from Mexico they moved here like when he was in his 20s and like he's had just like setbacks in terms of Mm -hmm. like being an immigrant like moving like language barriers like you know he speaks three languages obviously Spanish is like his strongest language like all this stuff he's not white like things like that whereas I am a woman and I also am white. I grew up in a middle class household, like comfortably with a dual income household. Mm-hmm. And so it really, it made me like uh, put a pause on sort of like my misandry or I don't know what you call it. Like, <laughs> just like the hardline thoughts that I always see where it's like, no matter what the men should be paying. I'm like, I have had these like opportunities like that is not equal and it's not just like man be woman you know yeah yeah that's a that's a good point I used a very like traditional uh example for mine but it it is really good to take into consideration those nuances in your relationship because it creates a lot of economic imbalance because 
virtually never do two partners come together with identical incomes, identical savings and identical debts. Like you might earn less than your partner, but they have like $100,000 of student loan debt for medical school and things like that. And so all these things have to be taken into consideration. And I hope couples realize like, being a couple is really economical beneficial. Like it gets both of you further along, but you have to work together and both people have to feel like they're contributing and not being taken advantage of. Cause I think money is so complicated in relationships. So complicated. I don't even do it. The relationship part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like I'm in a relationship, you know, I'm like a year in and before that I was mostly just a very, very single gal. Um, but I'm still kind of like, I'm very content in my current situation, but I'm also just like, Mm -hmm. as much as it would be cheaper to, you know, join forces with your expenses. I'm like, I guess, um, I don't know if it was like the pandemic or whatever. I'm just, I'm reevaluating a lot of like, just cut and dry, like advice that you get about how to live your life. And I'm like, I really love my space. Like I, (laughs) now I'm working from home and I decide to make videos at like 11 PM and just all this stuff where I'm like, I kind of like, you know what, for right now, if it's not broke, like don't fix it. (laughs) No, that's good. And that's exactly like at the beginning of this episode, when I said there's an emotional ROI to things, even if they might be a slightly higher financial costs. And even when people are doing up their budgets, like I said, like, I don't want you to cut out all joy from your life. Like I'm very pro latte (laughs) in my financial advice. It's just like, maybe instead of having five lattes a week, you just get three, but like, don't cut it out. Like, cause there's a lot of things, um, a lot of experiences or lifestyle design or even material possessions that bring like a good emotional ROI. And sometimes that outweighs the financial one. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, no, (laughs) seriously, like when I get a massage, I am so much happier. And if I had like Kardashian money, first thing I would do in house masseuse, (laughs) that would be my first frivolous, (laughs) outrageous expense would be like daily. Like, I'm not even joking. That's how I'd start my day. Like, (laughs) I think that sounds like incredibly luxurious. So I support that fully. <laughs> well, when you were saying that, like, you know, happiness goes up proportionally with income, like I thought of that because I was like, that is outrageous. Like very few people in the world could afford that. But I'm like, that would actually significantly like affect my life. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I'm sure that's how Bezos starts his day. No, I think he like opens up his pod and like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm picturing like in the movies when there's like smoke coming out of a pot. Like I picture him like sleeping, like hanging upside down or like standing up, but just like there's no, something like not fully natural. Not human. Yeah, yeah. Like, like Dr. Evil or just like kind of like robotic. There's something going on like him and uh, Mark Zuckerberg, like both of them. I'm like, you're like, oh, yeah. he's a robot. <laughs> something's not adding up <laughs> in terms of like just being a full human here. Like, I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, okay. I mean, this has been like, oh my God, I feel like we could just keep talking about this stuff forever. <laughs> like, um, I guess, I mean, Bridget, this has been like so lovely. I don't know. I'm like, do you have any like closing thoughts? I guess I just feel like you keep giving these little like <laughs> insights and nuggets of wisdom. It doesn't have to be advice, but just, I guess, kind of thoughts on like anything we've talked about today, like pop culture and finances, like personal 
I mean, I just want people to like what they like and enjoy it fully. I want you to enjoy your money. I want you to enjoy celebrity culture without, without feeling economically oppressed or too much scarcity from it. And I want everyone to have a rich life, both financially and in the experiences and material possessions that they want. So I was so excited that you invited me here to talk to you. This is so fun for me. And I'm I'm really excited to see the final episode when it comes out. Oh, or yeah. listen to the final episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm I'm excited. And um I'm excited off mic. You talked about um soon starting your housewife journey. So yeah, very excited about that. <laughs> for you <laughs> please keep me posted <laughs> yeah it's on my november agenda after i finish my horror movie binge incredible incredible <laughs> okay well bridget um thanks so much and um tell everyone where they can find you uh i'm on instagram tiktok and twitter at bridgie casey b-r-i-d-g-i-e-c-a-s-e-y I also write a bi-weekly column for the globe and mail for like financial advice for millennials and gen z and oh i'm i'm starting a podcast oh my god amazing amazing (laughs) yeah so my really good friend Alyssa, she's the content creator behind mixed up money we've created a podcast called money fields which is all about your emotional relationship with money so if you love this discussion that's what we will be discussing every week and it actually comes out october 20th so depending on when this airs that might be in the near future or you might be able to go back and listen because it will already be up Oh my God. Uh, incredible money feels. Okay. I'm going to like write that down and I will definitely be like, yeah, putting it out to my audience when it comes out. I'm very excited. I'm very excited for it. We really wanted to do October 21st, but I didn't want to overshadow Taylor Swift and her album release. That's not a wise (laughs) business decision to compete with like midnights. (laughs) Like (laughs) it's like when people are going to be like, playing midnights on like a 24-hour loop and like aren't gonna have time for your podcast <laughs> yeah I'm gonna let her have that day so we're <laughs> we're coming out the day before so you can listen to us and then you'll be all ready for whatever T-Swift is gonna give us yeah yeah you can try to kind of like repair the financial damage from buying like all four of her records <laughs> to make a clock or whatever <laughs> um, okay well Bridget thank you so much yeah thank you for having me Bye. All right, guys, that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe, leave me a review. Heck, leave a five-star review while you're at it. Follow me on Instagram. It's become a whole thing and TikTok. And I'll see you next week. Au revoir, mes amours.